Welcome to Rethinking Wellness, a podcast exploring the diet culture, disinformation, dubious diagnoses, and disordered eating that are so pervasive in contemporary wellness culture, and how to avoid falling into these traps so that you can find your own true well-being. I'm your host, Christy Harrison, and I'm a registered dietitian, certified intuitive eating counselor, journalist, and author of the books Anti-Diet, which was published in 2019, and The Wellness Trap, which came out on April 25th and is now available wherever books are sold. You can learn more and order it now at christyharrison.com slash thewellnesstrap. Hey there, welcome back to Rethinking Wellness. I'm Christy, and my guest today is writer and podcaster Amelia Hruby, who joins me to discuss the intersections in her processes of breaking up with social media and with diet culture. We talk about how being off the platforms has benefited both her mental health and her business, how to handle guilt over leaving social media, ways to get exposure to greater representation and body diversity without being on the platforms, and lots more. And you'll hear me talk in the episode about how I've been making a very long and slow pivot away from social media. But actually, just yesterday as I'm recording this, I finally went through and unfollowed everyone I followed on Instagram, which sorry to all my friends and family who I unfollowed or anyone else who's listening. It's nothing personal, but I just really feel like this was a positive and great step for my mental health. And I think it was partly inspired by this conversation with Amelia and some of the stuff I've heard on her podcast. So I hope this conversation can inspire something in you, too. I can't wait to share it with you shortly, but before I do, just a few quick announcements. This podcast is brought to you by my second book, The Wellness Trap, Break Free from Diet Culture, Disinformation, and Dubious Diagnoses, and Find Your True Well-Being, which is available wherever books are sold. It's a great companion to this podcast because it explores the connections between diet culture and wellness culture, how the wellness space became overrun with scams, misinformation, and conspiracy theories, thanks largely to social media. I go into that a lot in the book, and you'll hear me talk about that with Amelia here as well a little bit. And the book also discusses why alternative medicine can often be misleading and harmful, even though it's really understandable for people to be attracted to it, given the pitfalls of the conventional healthcare system. And the book talks about what we can do instead to create a society that promotes true well-being and break free from these wellness traps. Just go to christyharrison.com slash the wellness trap to learn more and order it now. That's christyharrison.com slash the wellness trap, or just pop into your favorite local bookstore and ask for it there. This podcast is made possible by my paid subscribers at rethinkingwellness.substack.com. Not only do paid subscribers help support the show and keep me able to make the best free content I possibly can like this podcast, but they also get you great perks like early access to every episode, bonus episodes, including one I did with this week's guest, bi-weekly bonus Q&As, subscriber-only comment threads where you can connect with other listeners, and lots more, including great stuff from the archives that's not available anywhere else. Just go to rethinkingwellness.substack.com to sign up. That's rethinkingwellness.substack.com. And thanks so much to everyone who's become a paid subscriber already. Your support really means the world to me. Now, without any further ado, let's go to my conversation with Amelia Hruby. So Amelia, welcome to the show. I'm so excited to be talking with you today for my podcast. We first connected for your podcast and I loved the conversation we have there and just really excited to continue it over here. Thank you so much for having me, Christy. I am so pumped to be here. 
Yes, I'm so pumped to talk to you. So, you know, I will have given a brief bio of you in my intro so listeners will know kind of the gist of what you do. But um, what I'm really interested in talking about today is, well, many things, right? Your your journey um, leaving social media, but then also like the fact that you were a feminist scholar and body positive influencer in your first career. Before we get into all of that, I'd love to just hear a little bit about your personal history with diet culture and wellness culture, whatever you want to share of that, because I know we all have one. and that sort of leads us to where we are today, I think. Yeah, thank you for that invitation. And I have what I have started to think of as like almost a prototypical journey with diet culture, with my experience of my body, with growing up in the aughts <laughs> as somebody who, you know, was 10 years old in 2001 and like really moved through my preteen years in that sort of hyper saturated low rise jeans crop top culture i just really kind of came into myself in an era of never believing i could be thin enough or good enough or pretty enough or anything enough and i find it really interesting to see how many of my peers now and how much i see that culturally we are so saturated in this question of what is enough. And I often will say like in my work or in different things I've created, like I always felt like I could never be thin enough and I could never be rich enough. <laughs> and those are like the two enoughs that really shaped my teens and 20s and led me down a path of a lot of dieting, of a lot of stress about money, of a lot of insecurity in all areas, and eventually led me to social media where you encounter a different enough of never having enough followers. And then, you know, I started kind of using that as a space to learn to liberate myself by crafting images of myself in a different way. And I think that social media there also becomes this really, I don't know what the word I want to use is. It was a very liberatory place for me, but I see it be a really challenging place for other people. So maybe it's what I'll say. Like it becomes a space where we can go to judge ourselves as never enough. But for me, it was for a time, a space where I could go to actually get in touch with myself as I was and share that with other people by which I mean take selfies of my fat body and love them and share them and be present in that space in that way. And while I was doing that, I really learned a lot about myself. And that's where I was hosting these small practice groups that I called Selfies for Radical Self-Love and leading other people through a curriculum of how to take selfies that resist some of the visual narratives that we find on social media rather than try to conform our bodies or retouch our images into those sorts of body types that are held up as, I don't even know what words, like the best, hottest, richest, most wonderful. <laughs> the ideal, yeah. The ideal, yes, thank you. Yeah, so I was doing that that work and it was really powerful and, and really changed my life and the lives of some of the people that I worked with um, as we were going through those curriculums together. That's really interesting that that it was such a part of like a liberatory process for you. And I think that's true for many people or at least some people in the sort of 
fat positive body liberation eating disorder recovery kind of spaces you know that there is this element of being able to reclaim something or just seeing bodies seeing larger bodies and diverse bodies existing in the world and an alternative to the media images that we're constantly fed and bombarded with i think there's something really freeing about that and really healing about that and there's such a double-edged sword to social media right it's it's so complicated and can become so complicated i think the more time you spend in that space yeah, absolutely. And I think it's why a lot of people talk about, you know, curating your feed so that you're seeing more of those liberatory images, you're seeing more representation of diverse body types and identities and lived experiences. And I do think that social media was the one of the first places like Instagram specifically where I saw other fat women and non-binary folks and I was like, "Wow, they look amazing." <laughs> like I can look like this and not only look like that but feel like that in my body. That's a possibility for me. And that I don't want to understate how powerful that is. I think representation is very powerful. I don't think it's the only thing that we need to liberate ourselves. Um, But I do think that it is one of the first steps toward realizing that we can enjoy our bodies, live in them happily, even love them. I know some people have trouble with self-love narratives or rhetoric, but for me, like just seeing other people love their fat bodies specifically in my case, like really helped unlock something for me that that was even possible for me. Mm. Were you, so you're, you have a history as a feminist scholar, like how did that play into your relationship with social media and your, your journey as an influencer for lack of a better term? Yeah. Yeah. So I, throughout all of this, I was doing my PhD in philosophy. I wrote a dissertation on feminist aesthetics, which combined some of some historical studies of like the history of art and representation with more contemporary understandings of feminism, particularly based around like identity, particularly coming from like the perspectives of a few women of color who are feminist theorists and poets and scholars. And so all of that was in my head as I'm just like scrolling through Instagram. And it kind of gave me, I think, a unique perspective on how we create images as well as how we experience them. And so I was able to kind of start to think through and apply things I had learned through my studies. And I was teaching at the university while I was doing my PhD. You know, I was there talking about teaching about the male gaze and the female gaze and the oppositional gaze as it's theorized by bell hooks. And, you know, I was really bringing that to the classroom and then able to see on Instagram, like, oh, it's interesting how as I scroll through these photos of people sharing selfies, like, who are they taking this for? Like, what gaze am I bringing to this image? Am I looking at this, like, in a certain way? Is it evoking a feeling in me or some type of, like, understanding of what this person is trying to get across through this picture of themselves? And it just, I was able to kind of wrap all of that up in how I used or consumed social media, and then kind of think through that lens of, okay, if I'm looking at all these other people and how they're presenting themselves and, you know, what's at stake there, how am I presenting myself? And how can I perhaps take, you know, my goal was really like to take 
photos of myself that disrupted some of the things that I thought, you know, were ways that I quote unquote should be showing myself. So I had always been trained with this sort of like, you know, in a picture, you should smile, you should, you know, I really had this narrative, like you should try to look as thin as possible in all of your photos. So you should, you know, contort your body in certain ways. So you're like, your posture is high and your stomach is sucked in and all of these narratives I had. And I really tried to like, can I, to take selfies that rejected them. (laughs) And so I was always like slouched over, like fully like belly relaxed. I often smiled because I enjoy smiling, but it wasn't the sort of saccharine, like say cheese smile. It was often a laugh or a different sort of look or facial expression I was working on. And that was kind of the beginning. It was like me learning all of these different ideas of representation and philosophy, and then trying to apply resistance to dominant narratives through my selfies. It sounds like such an interesting project. How how was it received? I mean, you obviously built an audience. I'm just curious, were you sort of cultivating that? Did it grow organically? Yeah. So over the course of I think two or three years, I grew a modest audience of, you know, roughly like 3,000 people who were there for selfies for radical self-love, that work I was doing, as well as some other things. I had a feminist mantra project where I shared feminist affirmations that was also kind of marrying my academic work and my practical or social media work. And on the whole, I would say the selfies were very well received. I think that we see selfies get the most likes on Instagram. And so I guess when I say well-received, I'll be more literal. What I mean is they got the most likes of my other photos. I definitely, I think my platform was small enough that I wasn't trolled by trolls (laughs) or I didn't get a ton of, you know, really negative or fat phobic or threatening or derogatory comments. They did show up occasionally. I would have people I'd never heard of who didn't follow anyone I followed kind of parachute in and say mean things or say really veiled things like how they're worried about my health. I'm like, I don't know you. You're obviously not worried about my health. And we know that concerns about health are just a way of that sort of language in that space. I was like, this is a dog whistle for, you know, fat phobic sentiment. So I, I did get a little encounter some of that, but I think for the most part, what ended up happening is I heard from a lot of people who would describe what I was doing, you know, as like brave or inspiring or uplifting to them. They were starting to see it as a possibility that they could experience their body in a different way, that they could share photos where they didn't look like the ideal. And they were really interested in like thinking about that together. And it didn't mean that they necessarily were going to like take a picture in their underwear and put it out there like I did. (laughs) But often it just meant that, you know, I might get selfies in like my DMs where they're like, look, I took one like this. They're like, look, I am thinking about, you know, what you said about that. And I always stood by like, Sharing them publicly is like a really private choice that you get to make. It was a choice I made, but I think you can still get so much out of a selfie practice, even if the photos stay private and just on your camera roll. Yeah, that's helpful to know. I mean, I'm so curious about your journey from that space to leaving social media, because you also have a professional background in social media, right? I've heard you say that you managed the socials for various companies for like a decade. And so given that background and your own career as a sort of influencer, micro-influencer perhaps, and then just having gotten a lot out of being on social media, what led you to 
break up with it and leave social media? Yeah, I think they're going to have two parallel paths. So I got my first job in social media while I was still in college. I was working for like a sort of agency. So this would be, gosh, 2011, I think. So early days of Instagram. I mean, early days of brands being on Instagram. At that point, I was actually running Twitter and Facebook accounts for brands. So I worked for this agency and I ran accounts for like a lingerie store outside of Baltimore and like a global shipping company. And like I was writing tweets and Facebook posts because these companies were just starting to think about having a social media presence. Gosh, yeah, you know, that was 12 years ago now. And then I stayed on that work for years and then eventually kind of left the agency, transitioned into grad school and just did some things on the side, mostly for local orgs in Chicago. Eventually somebody would need, you know, need someone to take care of their Instagram and I would get tapped to be that person. And then I kind of took some of that and started to grow my own account and think about, you know, what I wanted to accomplish there. And most of the time I was just trying to share my writing, share my selfies, sell this Selfies for Radical Self-Love practice group that I taught three or four times. And then I also did some influencing work. So I did some brand work, you know, with Parade, the underwear company. I did some work with Bando and did some like lives and got paid to do some partnerships with them. And really was kind of living, I think, like the micro-influencer dream. (laughs) Like you get free stuff and you get paid sometimes and like you don't have a big account. So you're not open up to all of the the different set of challenges when you're talking about tens of thousands of followers or hundreds of thousands of followers than when you're talking about thousands of followers. But what eventually became really clear to me is that kind of the fulcrum point for me leaving social media had to do with publishing my book. So in the fall of 2019, I heard from a publisher that had found me actually on Kickstarter through a Kickstarter campaign for my podcast at the time. And they found me there and then found me on social media and realized I had self-published a book, I think a year or two before that. And they wanted to work with me to re-edit the book and publish it through their company. Andrews McMeal was the publisher. And so I did that with them. And throughout that process, all I heard from like the agent that I got and their team was that I needed to grow my social media following. They were basically like, it's great that you're like a micro-influencer, but that's not going to sell enough books. So you need to become an actual influencer. It's not the words they use, but that's what I heard in my head. And so I really invested time, I invested money, I invested so much energy into trying to grow my platform. And a year later, when my book came out, I was so excited to share it with people. My book came out in October 2020. So I definitely had like a pandemic book launch. It was all online. So much of it was on Instagram. I did so many lives the week that my book came out. I can't even count how many I did for like every single person I could convince to talk to me basically on their platform. And the book was like, I don't even know if I would call it a modest success. It wasn't a failure. I think I sold like 3000 copies of my book. And considering I only had 3000 followers, like that seems great to me, but it's not enough to be meaningful to a publisher. And I was just kind of processing that experience toward the end of 2020 and the start of 2021 and realizing that I had made this like deep investment in social media. And it really felt like all I got out of it was like lower self-esteem, way less energy for my creative practice. 
and so much stress about whether or not the algorithm was going to favor what I was doing at any given time. And I started to create a list of rules for how I would show up on social media. I wrote this very long list of like, I'm sure everyone listening to this will relate to this list. It was like, I'll log on on Mondays. I'll post this thing I post every Monday. I will engage for 30 minutes. Then I will log off. I will delete the app. I will re-download the app on Thursdays. I will look and engage on comments. I will post these stories. I will get off the app. I will leave it on my phone through Friday. I will delete it for the weekend. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's just such a convoluted process. And in that process, like I wrote the whole post about the rules. I shared it on Instagram to like tell people what I was going to be up to. And then I had this light bulb moment where I was like, the last time I needed this many rules to engage with something, I was in a really codependent relationship that was really harmful to me. And I am not going to do that again with an app. I just, I was very clear. I was like, it took way too much therapy to heal that relationship pattern. I am not doing this with Instagram. And that light bulb moment, it was so liberatory. And I was like, wow, I can just leave. I had to leave the relationship. I can just leave Instagram. And I decided then that I would, and I kind of put a process in place. And then I ended up leaving April 9th, 2021. That is really powerful and actually resonates a lot with some of my experiences with social media. I've been thinking a lot about this career I have as somewhat of a public person influencer in some way, although I don't partner with brands, but I you know, have a big account and the headaches and difficulties that come along with that and stuff in my past that I've had to work through around accommodating people and staying in relationships I shouldn't have stayed in that weren't good for me. And also like having to go along to get along, going along with other people's, you know, opinions, needs, just over accommodating in so many ways. And I just refuse to do that anymore. And I'm trying to figure out a way to have a career that's different than that, that doesn't demand that kind of thing of me. And I think one big way is to step away from social media. I haven't been able to totally let go of it yet for various reasons. I think because I'm still in the traditional publishing industry, I feel like this pressure, even though nobody said to me explicitly, like you can't delete your Instagram or anything. It's It just feels like not the thing to do at this point. And honestly, having had a book launch recently without using social media as much, although I was, I had someone go back on it for me, you know, and, and post things on my behalf so that I had sort of a presence around the book launch but I wasn't as present or like interacting with comments or anything, you know, as I was with my first book. So I very much resonate with what you said about recognizing those patterns and how it was playing out with an app and like just knowing that that was not going to serve you. I think that's really powerful. Yeah, it was rough too. Like, <laughs> you know, I, now that I'm, as we're recording this, it's been over two and a half years since I've been on social media and it feels great. But at the time, it was definitely challenging to realize. And, you know, I had so many stops and starts before that sort of eye-opening moment of being like, okay, I'm done. And I think I see that a lot with other folks too. Like many of us have taken a social media break or we've left and come back or, you know, kind of had this undulating relationship to social media and it's interesting, you know, just in the space of this podcast, 
I think for me, the eye-opening moment that leads me to make a really big shift is a pattern in my life. And it also showed up in my relationship to diet culture. So there was a really clear, I mean, it was literally like an overnight thing in my life where I had this sort of awakening experience of literally like waking up one morning and I had just kind of gone through a period of intense exercising and ended up injuring myself. And I had this moment where I was like, okay, am I going to keep going down this path or am I going to make different choices about my body and stop pushing so hard and stop trying to lose weight? And literally that I woke up the next day and I was like, I'm going to quit. And I did. (laughs) And I haven't, I mean, that was in, I think that was almost five years ago now. And I have not been on a diet. I've not overexercised. I've not restricted my eating in any way since then. I think my tendency is like these real slow burns. (laughs) It's like, and it's really like churning and it's bothering me, this sort of place where my values and my behavior aren't aligning, where they're like getting really misaligned and I'm really not treating myself well and I'm really not loving myself in those spaces. And then kind of something will happen that'll make it really clear to me normally with some amount of journaling (laughs) or reflecting. (laughs) And I'll have this moment where I'm like, wow, this is really how it is. Am I really doing this to myself? And I'll choose to answer no. And then from that place, I really like change, like I step off that path onto a new path that happened with diet culture and it happened with social media as well. That is so interesting. What are some of the parallels you see in people's relationships with social media or in your relationship with social media and in our relationships with diet culture? Yeah, I think a big one comes up in where I started in this conversation is the never enoughness. I felt so strongly and I see in so many other people this with diet culture, it's that never thin enoughness of it. And with social media, it's the never enough followers or likes or engagement of it. You know, those kind of go and they feel like they go in opposite directions because one you seemingly want less than another, you want more. But I think it's the same not enoughness that really, like when that seed is planted in us, and I can say as a feminist scholar that generally people socialized as girls, like that seed is planted in you by culture and society. If it's there and it takes root, I can see it's so clear to me how it leads us down these paths, parallel paths of diet culture and social media. I also think they're both those paths are saturated with images of ideal body types that become this measuring stick of the not enoughness for us. And I think that both of those paths, they just have so many embedded cultural values and norms and expectations that we have to learn to kind of root out and confront in our own thinking and in our own habits and behaviors. And like, that's when I say like, liberatory or like liberation, what I mean is like kind of surfacing and releasing those and like letting go of that so that we can even start to begin the work of cultivating relationships and behaviors and thought patterns that actually like feel supportive and caring to us. Yeah, I totally identify with that. I think both diet culture and social media really trap people in this relationship with themselves that is so denigrating and so so not enough right so like feeling less than is kind of the currency of those milieus because 
when you feel less than in diet culture and in wellness culture too, right? It's like, and in capitalism generally, really, it's so much easier to sell people things that supposedly make them feel better about themselves, right? And when you feel less than in social media culture, you spend more time on the app. You spend more time checking back, engaging with comments, sharing, posting, doing the work to try to build your audience, to try to build your followers, to try to get that sense of enough, which is always elusive and sort of recedes into the distance. But that benefits the platforms, you know, that helps them serve you more ads and that helps them make their money. That's their business model really is capturing our attention to monetize it. For me, when I think about that piece of like who benefits from me feeling like this, I think that really helps me take a step away. I don't want to benefit these industries. I think these industries are really harmful in so many ways. And I certainly don't want to do it at the expense of my own well-being, right? So that can be a helpful reminder for people too. Not like a conspiracy theory, but actually how these industries are structured, how their business models work. Yeah. And that's something that I definitely try to explore in some episodes of Off the Grid, definitely the one with Vicki Curtis, who's the writer of The Social Dilemma, comes to mind where she... I love that one. Yeah, she's just so has, you know, so researched in this area and they did so many interviews with people who were at Meta and who were really involved in creating these products and who then make that wonderful documentary. And like Vicki Curtis is talking to them and writing The Social Dilemma and understanding this. So I think for folks who are interested in that, it's a great episode of Off the Grid to go to and kind of hear Vicki unpack how social media works and how the attention economy works and how that changes our behavior on the individual scale and on a sort of like global population scale. It's interesting, Christy, I think you and I are similar in that the sort of like intellectual unlocking is what makes things really clear to us. And I will also add, though, that I hear from a lot of people through Off the Grid that like the reason they actually leave is because they just feel so horrible. It's less of the like, I have to think through it and figure out why. It's more of the like, social media is making me like hate myself and I, I can't be here and I have to get off. And I think that both are powerful reasons and ways to step back from the platforms. I totally agree. And I think they can sort of feed each other too. Like I know for me, I spent years really feeling not great about myself because of social media. And I shared this in a newsletter recently, but like I fell down the stairs once because I was checking the app. Oh, jeez. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I could relate. I could relate. Like, it's like, what am I doing? And, you know, yet that moment was not the moment that made me, it actually took some other things. It took a building up of things, you know, just feeling bad about myself in so many different ways and like having it rob me of time. I think that was a huge one, you know, seeing how I would just reach for the app before I was even out of bed, before when my eyes were barely open. Or sometimes I'd like wake up with my phone in my hand. I'd be like, oh, I thought I put that in a drawer. Like, what is it doing here? You know? <laughs> and my thumb would just be reaching for Instagram before I even knew what was happening or I'd be checking in the bathroom, like getting ready and be late going somewhere because I was like, I couldn't just like focus on getting ready. I had to do it while multitasking and like responding to some comment that felt so urgent. That was just a buildup of all that. And then watching The Social Dilemma, I think really crystallized a lot of that stuff for me, but it was building already. You know, it's like, I wish I had listened to 
some of those feelings earlier. I wish that I hadn't had to fall down the stairs and still keep going, you know, like I wish that my bottom had come sooner, I guess, but we all find our way to it when we do, if we do. And I'm grateful now to sort of see how harmful it was to my mental health and to have taken some steps to really insulate myself from that harm. Yeah. You know, we, we have different paths toward change in our lives. We all do. And I think that for anyone listening who's struggling with social media, something that came up in a, a recent conversation for Off the Grid was, I think it's a Cheryl Strayed quote where she's like, wanting to leave a relationship is reason enough to leave. Wanting to leave social media is reason enough to leave. It may not get you there, you know, it didn't get me there, <laughs> but like wanting to leave is reason enough, feeling bad is reason enough, realizing that it's like totally taken over your life and you have to leave is reason enough. Like any of these reasons are enough. And I think that I have also, you know, I think you kind of brought up some of the parallels with like addictive behavior. And I've seen some really interesting conversations happening, you know, in more like sobriety spaces around people drawing parallels between quitting drinking and quitting social media as both quitting addictive behaviors or breaking up with addiction, maybe I'll say. And that's not my personal experience, but I do find it really exciting. And I'm planning an episode of Off the Grid next season with a group called ITAA, which I believe stands for Internet Technologies Addicts Anonymous. And they are a global organization applying 12-step principles to social media and social media addiction and internet addiction more broadly. And I just find it really interesting and eye-opening and powerful that people are like going to these shared resources. Like these are all different paths to liberation from social media if it's something that really is taking over your life or our lives. So much there that I want to unpack. I feel like I have several different threads that I want to pull. But (laughs) but the one that sort of jumped out at me first, I think, was this idea of wanting to leave is reason enough. I feel like for me and for people I know who have somewhat of a platform in the like anti-diet space, but I think it can happen even for people who just have people they're connected with in real life where they feel like they're maybe sharing important messages on their social media or something there's this sense of guilt. Like, well, if I walk away, I'm like not going to be pushing back against these systems. I'm not going to be, you know, calling out diet and wellness culture there anymore. And what's going to fill that void is probably just more of the stuff I'm trying to push against, you know? And so there's like this sense of like, well, I have to stay for the benefit of my followers or something like that. Do you identify with that at all? First of all, as someone who had sort of a platform in a similar space, and what would you say to someone who's struggling with that piece of it? Yeah, that's a great question. The resonance I'm hearing in the question really has a lot to do with organizing work. And I've worked in a few, I've been involved in a few organizing efforts, particularly when I was living in Chicago during grad school. And I think in those spaces, people feel like I can never step back from this work. I need to be like always present, always on, always pushing to benefit the work and the community and what we're trying to achieve together. And I've like as the antidote to that, I've loved seeing how many prominent organizers we have kind of coming forward, talking about the importance of rest, talking about the importance of doing activist or organizing work or change work more broadly in a way that is embedded in the values of what we're the change we're trying to bring about. So I think of, you know, the NAP ministry, or I think of someone like 
Prentice Hemphill or like all these people who are really saying like, the only way we will make change is by living in the values. Adrienne Marie Brown is also someone's kind of stepping forward into this space. And so that's like what comes to mind first is like, I don't want to be like, be the change you want to see in the world. I feel so <laughs> like that's a cliche quote at this point. But like, there's a way that like the work has to be done with the same value system that we're trying to bring about. And what you were saying, there's a concession that I hear that is where I want to like kind of scratch at, which is that you didn't say, but that's underlying it, which is like, everybody's on Instagram and they're going to stay on Instagram and be on Instagram no matter what. Therefore, I need to be in that space pushing back against diet culture and how it's showing up there. But the work I'm doing is all about getting us to question that initial assumption and is about getting us to say, if we are all going to be on social media and we believe it's inherently embedded in diet culture, maybe the changes we actually need is to get off of social media. Can we do, I guess there's a sort of like, master's tools will never fix the master's house scenario here. And so for creators in the anti-diet space feeling that way, I would wonder, would being the example of someone leaving social media actually help, potentially help more of your followers step back from this problematic space? And could it, I'm not saying it would, I think that's a, like I, it's a question mark there. <laughs> I can't determine that for anyone. But I'm also thinking of a conversation I just had with Lauren Ash of Black Girl and Ohm for Off the Grid. And she talked about how she left her platform, like she shut down her Instagram account of over 50,000 followers because she realized that the work she was trying to do in the world, Instagram was actively working against that, like creating genuine community for women of color and wellness. She was like, this is not the space where that can happen anymore. And so she chose to step away. And I just think that's a really powerful reckoning that happens in that moment. And I just wrapped a lot of things into the response to that question. But but I, I think there's so much to unpack in even thinking that like, I have to be here to push back against something. There's so many questions to ask before we even get to that sort of sentiment. Yeah, I think that's all so powerful and important. And so many of the people you mentioned, I also love their work and how they're advocating for like embedding the values that we want to see in the world into our activism work and not doing activism in a way that burns people out or throws them away or just recreates the the hierarchies that we see, maybe inverts them or changes them, but ultimately keeps hierarchies in, in place. That's all been part of my own reckoning as well. Stepping away from social media and not doing activist work on social media anymore and just not wanting to contribute to a space that I think is so toxic and just treats people as disposable, you know, in so many ways, like treats people as just these cogs in a machine that exists for the benefit of tech companies, really. That's also helpful to hear as sort of a follow on to that and something that I was thinking about earlier too, when you were mentioning liberatory aspects of being on social media and seeing representations of different bodies, how do you sort of reckon with that or invite people to think about ways to like expand their visual and aesthetic um, environment without necessarily having to be on social media, without diversifying their feed, right? What if there's no feed? What, how, do we, how do we do that then? 
Mm, I love this question. I think that something that social media has done, in my mind, it's kind of like opened our eyes to the fact that we don't just have to consume like what dominant media presents, like their, their visuals or narratives or stories, and that there's so much more out there. But I think once you've had that awakening or that eye-opening moment, like you don't have to go to social media to get those things. There are so many amazing independent media platforms out there. There are so many amazing independent magazines and websites and podcasts and YouTube channels, whatever it may be. Although YouTube is sometimes associated with social media and definitely algorithmically oriented. So I think it really just comes down to being creative And what I love about this, and I can hear myself getting like excited, (laughs) but it's just like, once I got off social media, I wasn't just like consuming whatever it gave me. And I got, I just like got really more adventurous and I was like seeking out things that I felt excited by. And I really started for me, that meant that I've had this whole like renaissance and newfound love of film since I left social media. I watch all of these independent films and short films, and I've gotten super into that space and world. And I also read so much more. So I read all of these books and I spend a lot of time like going to independent bookstores, seeing what they're recommending, like try, you know, looking up interviews with an author I love to see who they're reading and then going and reading those books. Similar, same with filmmakers, like seeing who they admire, what films inspire them. How can I go to those spaces? And so I've become such an active like participant in the visuals and narratives that I'm consuming. And I'm not just like taking in whatever the algorithm is feeding me. And so it's really been like a joyful process. And I have so many, like I have more opinions. I have more to say. I have more just thoughts. (laughs) I have more thoughts. Um, But it's like, I'm not just like kind of taking in and regurgitating the same, like whatever's on my feed that I'm scrolling through. Instead, I'm really like seeking out different things and different representations. And, you know, honestly, I encounter a lot more stuff that I absolutely hate (laughs) and a lot more stuff that I absolutely love instead of just a constant feed of things that I'm like, okay about. Mm, That's so interesting. I can very much relate to that too. I think for me, like, being away from especially Twitter is where I got this sort of steeped in conventional wisdom thing, I think the most, right? Where it's just like, these are the talking points, you know, here, here's your daily list of talking points. Here's the enemy of the day. Here's the hero of the day. Here's like what you're supposed to think about this thing that's going on. Stepping away from that, I think has been so helpful for just like trusting myself, you know, getting back in touch with my own opinions and what I really think and feel and like the nuanced levels of that too, not just these hot takes that fit into 240 characters or whatever that are, you know, the low hanging fruit. I took a, a really great op-ed writing workshop with a writer named Jasmine Derbolina who talked about this sort of like low hanging fruit aspect of Twitter and how, you know, when you're writing op-eds, we want to go beyond just this kind of like lowest common denominator take. And it's often, you know, people will like labor over writing these takes on Twitter that are like, they'll be funny or they'll be, you know, they'll distill something that's kind of 
an opinion some people, maybe a lot of people are feeling and they'll get a lot of likes, but then they'll disappear. You know, it's sort of part of that like disposability culture, I think, of social media. It's not really built to last. They don't have staying power. And even op-eds, I mean, he made the argument too that even like a good op-ed, you don't necessarily remember. It's more these longer form crafted arguments in a book or in a, a longer form piece of journalism that maybe will really stick with people. And that really resonated, I think, for me with how I started, I've started to feel about the media that I create and the, you know, just the sort of content I create in general, like that I want what I do to have some sort of staying power. I don't want to be expending my creative energy on these things that are going to just disappear, you know, that might go viral for a second. And that's sort of the unstated goal, I think, of a lot of tweets or Instagram posts or whatever. And certainly on TikTok, you know, that's like the hashtag for you page or whatever is literally saying, I want this to go viral. But like, what are we really wanting when we're wanting that? You know, it's this sort of quick flash in the pan, like 15 minutes of fame kind of thing. You know, I have never really been one for quick fame. My career is very much a testament to that. It's taken so long to really achieve whatever sort of external metrics of success I've achieved. And I have not had anything near overnight success. And I you know, used to want it. I used to think like, oh, if I could just have this thing that hit, you know, and just make a living from what I'm trying to do, because I feel like it's so important. And I just, you know, and like, I wanted that sort of quick rise, but I've started to really appreciate how slow burning everything I've done has been. And not to say that everyone has to feel that way. That's just my experience. But I've connected that to, I think, my rethinking of social media and sort of how disposable it all feels and how I don't want to be a part of that. I want to be a part of something that is more lasting. And how can I put my energy towards that? Yeah, I really appreciate this like reflection on virality as a motivating force, because I do think it is what drives so many people, so many creators on social media is like the promise of virality. And I think that that promise is becoming like more and more hollow, especially in the world of TikTok, where you're seeing just like everyday people make viral videos. And I think on Instagram, it used to be that going viral meant you would get this like flood of followers and then you could potentially be an influencer and like start down that career path. But now on TikTok, like going viral doesn't mean anyone will ever follow you. (laughs) It means that you have to keep chasing that over time. It becomes this, I really, I think of it as a chase and you're just like constantly chasing the algorithm and chasing the whims of the users of the platform. And I think that for any values-centered creator, it just takes you really far afield. Like the most successful influencers are the ones who are doing whatever their audience and the platform desires. And I'm not here to critique that behavior necessarily. I can see the appeal of it to some degree, but I just think it's really unsatisfying for people who feel driven by their like core desires and values and needs and beliefs, you really have to hand yourself over (laughs) if if what you want is ongoing virality and fame. And I think it stands in the way of people discovering their core beliefs and values too. You know, I think if you're someone who stumbles into it and you don't necessarily have those values sort of dialed into your compass and you're still exploring to figure out what those are, I think it can easily pull you in 
whatever direction the algorithm pulls people, which is usually controversy, outrage, novelty, one-upmanship, popularity contest. It's all this stuff that isn't probably core to most people's values. And it can distract and detract from the process of actually discovering who you really are and being able to listen to your inner voice. Yeah, I think that's very true. And I think that while I have a background in like academia and theory and art and all of these things, I'm also, you know, now I spend most of my time as a business owner running my business, which is a podcast studio. And so I I also think like very pragmatically about the role of social media and what social media means in our society and our professional spheres and what it can bring us and get for us and like our, you know, social status in the world. I think something I just want to like add to this conversation is, you know, when I left social media, I had to give up and grieve certain dreams. Like I I gave up the dream of another book deal. That was a part of my leaving process. In my mind, as long as traditional publishing is focused on requiring a large platform to get a book deal, I've I've let go of that dream for myself. I'm not willing to be on social media. And so maybe that's not on the table for me anymore. And that was definitely something I had to grieve because I wanted another book deal. I, I always had this image of myself as an author and a writer, but I just wasn't willing to compromise everything I had to give up to be on social media. And when we choose to liberate ourselves from these like normative systems, there may be trade-offs, you know, there may be things that like we're going to come up against. I don't want to sound naive or like, I don't get that. When you step off social media, there are opportunities that I have given up because I am not there but I made that choice. There are things that, you know, I launched a podcast. I I quit going down the route I was, the path I was going down. I don't offer myself use for radical self-love course anymore. I started this fully separate business of a podcast studio because I needed to be full-time self-employed. And I knew that my selfies courses, I didn't have a big enough audience off social media or, or on social media, frankly, to sell them and make enough money to support myself. I made all these really pragmatic decisions based off of this choice. And I think that is a piece of it. And I think a lot of the reason people don't leave is, I'm hearing this even in your story, Christy, is like, there are things you want that require this. (laughs) And so we have to sit in that tension. And sometimes we eventually make a different choice and change our careers or change our efforts. And sometimes we stay in the tension and, and that's okay too. Yeah, I feel like for me, it's been this process of turning a giant, slow moving ship around because I had been going full steam ahead in one direction and like accumulated all this stuff, built out this ship of my business, I guess, to have people that I contract with and have things that I do that people have come to expect from me and all of this stuff. And so thinking about shedding some of that stuff or reorienting such a large ship, I mean, Let's not, (laughs) I'm not trying to (laughs) self-aggrandize here. I am a very small business with, you know, I'm the only employee and have a few contractors or whatever, but still it feels like, feels like a responsibility. And I do, up until recently, I have been the primary or sole earner in my family. There's a weight of responsibility to that and figuring out how to turn it around when I like whatever success that I sort of stumbled into financially and culturally or whatever has been in one arena 
it's been really tough. It's been really tough to think about reorienting and I'm still in this slow process of reorienting. And, you know, I think my values have been really at the heart of it, having this sort of values compass of who I really am and and what I really believe in to guide me in a direction. But to get everything to line up in that direction has been a whole other, whole other thing. And like you, I have always thought of myself as a writer. That's all I ever really wanted to be. That's whether it was journalism or being an author of books or a podcaster, but writing, you know, the scripts and the content to some degree and whatever, it's always been writing. So figuring out how to do that and make a living with that that's sustainable without having to have social media as a big part of it and eventually maybe without having to have social media at all that's the goal but it's been it's been a challenge here's a <laughs> a good place for a plug to be a paid subscriber to Substack cuz that's honestly part of why I why I went to that platform was like to try to see if having people directly pay for the work could potentially help offset some of the cost of losing the social media presence it's been an interesting journey for sure. And your course, I just started really diving into your refresh. You do these courses on helping people leave social media and rethink their relationships with it. And I watched the first module and just was in tears at the beautiful visualization that your friend Grace led. It was just really powerful. And I felt something shift there. For me, this work is very present and ongoing, and I'm not sharing too much publicly about it, but there's a lot in my mind, at least happening behind the scenes. Yeah. I mean, I love the metaphor you shared of like turning the ship. That feels really powerful to me, especially kind of as a a counterpoint to my swift, decisive choice. Like, (laughs) shifts, I tend to make like really big changes really fast, or they seem really fast from an external perspective. But I don't think everything works that way. And so I love this idea of, yeah, you you have to like really turn the ship. And also, you know, maybe it's also a little bit of a sailboat and you have to wait for the winds to shift as well. And you're just kind of hanging out. And I think right now the winds really are shifting around social media. We're seeing so many creators start to step away. When I launched Off the Grid in 2022, I would say the first season kind of had like minimal success. Some people were into it. It wasn't really like catching on. And I had a conversation with a good friend of mine at the end. I was like, I don't know if people want this. Maybe it's just a thing I did and it's not a big deal and I won't make another season. And she was like, I think you're just ahead of the curve. (laughs) And so when I did season two, it has been like an astronomical difference. I mean, I'm doing like 10, 20, 50 X the number of downloads on my episodes because people are so much more ready. Like the winds have shifted, I guess, to continue the metaphor. People are are really more ready to think about life without social media or work or business without social media or creating things or art without social media than they were even a year ago. And so I think that's really a piece of it too, is like some of it is in our is our choice and our control. And some of it is kind of waiting for the world to shift. And we'll each find our own right timing on this. I'm never here to be someone to say like, you need to get off social media. Like I think it's, I think of it as a very personal choice. And I think that is also what comes up in that visualization that you've mentioned. So whenever folks are are hearing this, it will be a part of something I'm 
as a recording, I will be launching this soon. Probably by the time this comes out, it will be out. But through Off the Grid, I have a membership offering called the Interweb that you can join and you'll get access to my course where I help people step away from social media and build business foundations or offering foundations in different directions. And then a part of that is also Grace's visualization that really helps you step into a space of like addressing all the fear that arises and sitting with it and releasing it so you can step into a space of like new possibility and just thinking of stepping back from or stepping away entirely from social media. Yeah, it's beautiful. It's a really powerful activity. And just, I love that you're doing this work. I think it's so important. You know, we're talking about the winds shifting. I think you're part of that shift. And it's hard to be an early person to a trend or a movement or a, not to belittle it by calling it a trend, but to like a like a shift, a cultural shift. It's hard to be early to it. And yet we need those people, right? We need the people in the vanguard to be showing the way or to shed light on something that maybe a lot of people haven't considered. So I really appreciate your work in doing that and your commitment to sticking with it. I'm so glad that Off the Grid exists for another season that I was able to connect with you and discover your work. And yeah, I think it's really powerful. And anyone who's listening who is curious about leaving social media, I definitely recommend that they check out your work because I think it's wonderful and just feels very aligned to with my values. Like there's a lot of different ways people can talk about leaving social media. And I feel like your way is just so gentle and compassionate and feels really good to me. So thank you. (laughs) Well, thank you. I appreciate it. I have heard from other people that I and yourself now that I have a pretty like gentle but no nonsense approach to this work. I left social media over two and a half years ago. So like, I don't need this work personally anymore. But I feel very committed to supporting people through these transitions and seeing them where they're at in that space. Because as it's evolved, you know, Christy, I'm meeting and working with more and more folks like you who really have careers that are somewhat dependent or just straight up dependent on social media and like, how do we engage this work from that space? And it's just, I mean, I find joy in creating resources and thinking through creative solutions to these like questions or creative invitations to take steps in different directions. And so, yeah, I'm so glad that you came on the show to talk about how all of this relates to wellness and, you know, folks want to explore Off The Grid, they can actually go check out our newly launched website, which is at offthegrid.fun. Amazing. Thank you so much. I didn't even have to do my my typical wrap up. So <laughs> thank you. We'll put all that in the show notes. Actually, there's one last question I want to ask you because yeah, I've been asking it for everyone who's on the show, which is, you know, the show's called Rethinking Wellness. And I'm curious how you're rethinking or how you have rethought wellness in your own life in light of your work. Well, I think in the context of off the grid, I have really been thinking a lot and just spending, you know, years now kind of in meditation with this question of what does digital wellness mean and how do our digital activities, behaviors, spaces impact our well-being and impact the wellness of our bodies, our minds, our spirits. And so for me, rethinking wellness has been a lot about rethinking not only what I'm doing in, you know, the material realm of like having a body, being a person in the world, but also what I'm doing in the digital realm and how my behavior and my practices online 
really impact my mental and physical well-being. And so stepping away from social media was obviously a big step toward rethinking my wellness. It has done so much for my mental health and for and also for my physical health, I would say in different ways. And it's just another piece of this puzzle that that you're so beautifully kind of constructing for us around what wellness even means in this age. And I'm just grateful to get to be a part of that conversation. Thank you so much. I Yeah, digital wellness, I think, or digital well-being is really like a, such a key part of it that I have wanted to explore with this podcast and was part of the sort of genesis of this podcast. I knew that that was going to be like a pillar of content I wanted to have here because I think it's so important and so often overlooked. And there's so many ways that social media drives people to do things that are harmful to overall well-being, you know, mental health especially, but also physical health and other aspects of well-being, social connection and, you know, self, self-acceptance, et cetera. I really appreciate that, you know, you're doing this work too in the in the digital space and just really grateful to, for this conversation. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. I really am just overjoyed to be here as a longtime food psych fan. I just am so happy to to land on your new show. Oh, thank you so much. And can you tell people where they can find your work and learn more about what you're doing? Of course. So you can find me personally at ameliafreebie.com. If you're interested in some of the selfies practices that we talked about at the start of the episode, I do have a free self-guided email course on selfies for radical self-love. That's kind of the, the last instance of that social media work I was doing years ago. So you can, again, find that at ameliafreebie.com. If you're interested in listening to Off the Grid or learning more about the show or resources like the interweb, you can find that online at offthegrid.fun. That's our, <laughs> our new webpage. I love it. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's... I. I Believe it or not, almost all of the off-the-grid domains are taken. Mm. So, <laughs> so we landed at offthegrid.fun, which I think does bring the spirit of, you know, that gentleness, that supportiveness, the no-nonsense, and also like it can just be fun and creative and sparkly and enjoyable. So um, that's all there too. Amazing. Yeah, we'll put links to that in the show notes. Lots of resources to share from this episode. So thank you again, Amelia. And you're going to be sticking around, I hope, for our bonus episode. So paid subscribers can check that out. And for everyone else, thank you so much for listening. So that is our show. Thanks so much to our amazing guest for being here and to you for tuning in. If you've enjoyed this conversation, I'd be so grateful if you could take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening. You can also support the show by becoming a paid subscriber for just a few bucks a month. With a paid subscription, you unlock great perks like bonus episodes, subscriber-only Q&As, early access to regular episodes, and much more. Sign up now at rethinkingwellness.substack.com. That's rethinkingwellness.substack.com. Got burning questions about wellness trends, diet fads, or anything else we cover on this show? Send them my way at christyharrison.com slash questions for a chance to have them answered in the Rethinking Wellness newsletter or on a future podcast episode. This episode was brought to you by my new book, The Wellness Trap, Break Free from Diet Culture, Disinformation, and Dubious Diagnoses, and Find Your True Well-Being, which is now available wherever books are sold.
Just go to christyharrison.com slash the wellness trap to learn more and buy the book, or just go into your favorite local bookstore and ask for it there. If you're looking to heal your relationship with food and break free from diet and wellness culture, I'd love for you to check out my online course, Intuitive Eating Fundamentals. Learn more and enroll now at christyharrison.com slash course. That's christyharrison.com slash course. Rethinking Wellness is executive produced and hosted by me, Christy Harrison. Mike Lalonde is our audio editor and sound engineer, and administrative support is provided by Julianne Watasik and her team at A-Team Virtual. Our album art is by Tara Jacoby, and our theme song is written and performed by Carolyn Pennypacker-Riggs. Thanks again for listening. Take care. Take care.